0: Sequence
1: is loading. <laughs> I'm just a sap when it comes to sentimental songs, I guess. <laughs> if she sings You Light Up My Life, I'll be on the floor.
2: Are you ready? ready?
3: Relax.
1: Enjoy. Move it Denny Craig. All right, everybody.
3: Walk along.
4: Welcome back to Boston Legal Radio. If this sounds like you are dropping into the middle of a show, it is. This is part two of a two-part Boston Illegal Radio podcast with our special co-host this week, Georgia Murray, who appeared in the episode as herself as the nightclub singer. If you've landed here first, be sure to click on part one to get the full coverage of the episode, Live Big. Episode 16 aired February twenty-one. I'm Dana Greenley and again, we'll rejoin our conversation with Georgia Murray about live big. Boy, we've been talking so long. I know people are eating this up. Thank goodness we. Hopefully, they have a lot of room on their iPods yeah, to download this. I'm like, wow, this is quite the episode. Now, the, the serious storyline is always yours. Was a very serious storyline, but the Alzheimer's patient, the as Denny put it in the course of the show, I'm so tired of Alzheimer's being a story point. Right? Not so great. Yeah, I'd like so this. Great. And Ryan Meyerson was the character whose wife was, well, she died. But she didn't die of natural causes. She overdosed on morphine because her husband and her had an agreement to end her life when the Alzheimer's got too strong. And so we'll play a soundbite where the character, Ryan, Ryan Meyerson, explains the situation when he has his first meeting with Alan Shore and Denny Crane. Denny is just sitting over in the corner listening denny has issues about this and you can obviously see that on his face
5: alzheimer's was her worst fear she had gotten to the point where she was forgetting and she was losing control of her body and she begged me to help her do it and i complied how did you comply We had hired a nurse who had previously worked at a hospice for dying patients. And she was familiar with setting up morphine drips. And I persuaded her to set one up for us in case pain management ever became an issue. And you increased the drip to cause your wife's death? Yes. My lawyer is recommending that I plead to manslaughter, which I simply cannot bring myself to do. I am not a criminal.
4: Alan actually refuses that case at first. He says, stick with your first lawyer. But, um, but in the next thing we see is, is he's in court talking to the judge and the ADA about the situation. So he does take the case. Do you want to share with us, Georgia, about uh, the actor who played Ryan Meyerson?
0: Yeah, Maurice Shakin <laughs> played Ryan Meyerson in the episode and he has acted on film and TV for over 30 years with roles in several major films to his credit. Uh, Shakin had a memorable role as a mad army commander in 1990's Best Picture Oscar winner Dances with Wolves, which was a fantastic movie, and more recently played the title role in an A&E series, Narrow Wolf, which was in 2001-2002. Uh, he's a Canadian citizen, and Shaken has won several awards for Canadian film um, and TV work in his career. So he's had quite a time, and he was just delightful on Boston Legal.
4: Then we have new people coming to the storyline. As the, we mentioned before, Adam Markins in this the next soundbite, ADA Douglas Kopfer, and also the Judge Resnick. is He's been you know, a reoccurring judge over <laughs> in Boston, so he's popping up now and then. Are talking, But it's interesting about Adam Arkin. As we mentioned, he's going to be directing an episode coming up here. And he actually was in The Practice as um, a different character. But he was actually in season eight of The Practice. So that was the one that introduced Alan Shore. And he was the one, I think, in the first or second episode, maybe. I don't know. It was the arc with Sharon Stone as an attorney. So those were the first few episodes. And he played a partner in the firm that Sharon Stone's character had worked in. And then there was um, wrongful firing suit or something. And Alan represented Sharon Stone's character. They butted heads in the practice. And then in this scene, you're about to hear they're butting heads in judge Resnick's court. And they're actually forced to explain that they have a history, but it's a whole different history. It's like, you know, there was, he's another character, which David Kelly tends to do this. Yeah, So he's, it's different. But also another flip-flop, and I don't know what script you have. I have like one of the sides from, I think it's November. So I don't know if it got updated And by the time you got your script, but... Oh, yeah,
0: mine did get... Yeah, the last update on mine was December 8th.
4: They gave him a different name. And I think they probably originally expected Adam Markin to be that same character because in the script, it's Albert Ginsburg. And then, lo and behold, when it made it to air, it's Douglas Kopfer. So they decided they weren't going to have... Yeah, anyway, for whatever reason. It's interesting how they change things. So, here they are in Judge Resnick's courtroom, pre-trial.
5: I'll ask for continuance if they won't. On grounds they're not ready. Your Honor, this is a tactic. Mr. Shore figures to lose at trial. I rarely lose, and certainly not to you. So what he's obviously trying to do here is pile on as many grounds for appeal as possible, including, it seems, inadequate counsel. Do you two have a prior relationship? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, When I was in private practice, Mr. Shore hacked into my client's corporate files and then blackmailed him successfully. You left that
3: out.
4: (laughs) Yeah, back in the day when he actually used to skirt the law, Alan Shore has been pretty good this whole season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, another thing about when Adam Arkin's character was called Albert Ginsburg in the script, there's a Frank Ginsburg in Legal Deficits, which was the last episode that David Kelly wrote before this one, who was an ADA, there's an ADA Frank Ginsburg, played by Craig Graham. He's on Desperate Housewives now. And he has a sordid history with attorney Brad Chase, so now maybe it was just too similar. You know, we've got the Frank Ginsburg, we've got the Albert Ginsburg, we have both Ginsburg's with sorted histories with Boston Legal cast characters. Anyway, it's complicated, but for whatever reason they changed it. I just kinda love that kind of thing, Georgia. <laughs> I'm glad you're sticking with me during it.
0: No, it is. It's cool. It's very cool.
4: It's all puzzly and I I yeah. I dig That's puzzles. Good.
0: Putting them all together, all the pieces. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Judge Resnick has been around for a number of episodes. He's played by Michael Inson. But the interesting thing about Resnick, Michael Inson, is that the, I have to delve into the Six Degrees again. He's been on all three Star Trek spinoffs. So he's got that, that tie-in to Renee and William Shatner with the whole Star Trek pedigree. And he's been on L.A. Law. He was on Murphy Brown. He was on Chicago Hope. Oh, wow. Again, with probably Adam Arkin, you know, who's on Chicago Hope. And... As we said before, Jane Brooke, who played Rachel Lewis, So it's a big happy family, just like you attested yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, Michael Inst was in Seabiscuit and Titanic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, anything you want to share about this storyline as you observed it as a viewer, but you've also you know, seen the script and you've had a lot of time to, to look at it before it was on the show. Any kind of thoughts you wanted to share? Well,
0: uh, watching the episode... One thing about the episode that I loved was it really ran through such a range of emotions, you know. It had me laughing hysterically, and I had tears coming down my face, and it introduced new storylines, um, like a number of new storylines. I mean, it was jam-packed <laughs> with new information about characters, and um, and I just think that was fantastic. So the storyline itself was just I think their intention... I mean, I know it was during Sweeps Week, so they, they had to get a lot of excitement in the episode, yeah. and they really... Or David Kelly really did that so well. Yeah, the emotion. It was just a full emotional show, not not only sad, but happy, and it was wonderful. I, it was a
4: balance, like... They call it the dramedy, right? So they had the, the Alzheimer's storyline, which was really sad. and They did an interesting thing. Did you notice how the segments were broken up? And people have blogged about this. I mean, people really care about this. <laughs> they shortened the sake, there's always six segments in an episode mm-hmm. and they're usually run that seven minute kind of block, but they were like five minute segments during the first oh. five segments uh, shorter. And people felt like there were a lot more commercials. It wasn't the case. There was the same number of commercials. It's a 42 minute show, which is actually 30 seconds longer <laughs> than the previous show. Um, and so that wasn't changed. But what they did was the last segment, 15 minutes long. Unheard of. Wonderful, though, because you had an uninterrupted conclusion of the Paul storyline you had.
0: Maybe, yeah, and it was probably to get, I think, maybe for the impact. Mm -hmm. You know, had it been broken up, maybe the impact would have been lost. But having it be one consistent block really sort of drove home the emotion, perhaps.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, At at some point, we do realize that Denny is being terribly affected by this, and he decides to, uh, well, Alan has noticed it and decides to talk to Denny. Asking him if he's okay about this Alzheimer's story point. You okay?
1: I'm tired of my Alzheimer's being a story point. This isn't your story, Denny. And your MRI was fine, remember? No progression. Imagine killing somebody you deeply love even the spare suffering you said you'd do it for me you promised I don't know that I could well don't worry you're off the hook if the day comes that's said she'd sit on me ah boots on that's what we did with my father
4: We'll revisit that a little bit in the the balcony scene, but he kind of leaves it there. It's like a morphine drip. That's what he did to his father. Wow. There's a story. Um, Really quickly, before we run out of all our time, uh, I do want to finish up the storyline with Ryan Meyerson and his very moving, very moving testimony as he's talking about how his wife, how he came to the decision to overdose his wife.
5: She loved to read more than anything else in the world and in the last few months she couldn't even do that what about the physical symptoms well her motor skills were declining which was why we hired the nurse she battled incontinence but mainly it was the sense that her brain was dying and she knew it I mean this was a proud fiercely intelligent woman Who was becoming an imbecile, not only in front of everybody else's eyes, but her own. Were you present when she died? Yes. It was tragic. But it paled to the tragedy had she gone on living.
4: You really feel his emotion about ending the life of his wife. And then further he was cross examined by the ADA Kopfer and Adam Arkin and uh it was emotional and Adam's doing or mean the ADA is doing his job and pushing him as far as trying to get him to show emo- you know, show an outburst of emotion. Yeah. So then say, Oh, you're impulsive, aren't you? Yeah. But you know who was impulsive? Do you remember in that scene? Mr. Pop Tart?
0: Oh yes. Denny Crane, how he jumps up and and he said, "What did he say? Objection!" Exactly. And he's like, "Not even. There's nothing to object about."
4: And then he but just kind of stood there, didn't nope, he? Back
0: down,
3: yeah.
4: And he and it was interesting. Some some people commented even like on the message boards forum that Alan looked very concerned, but he didn't try and jump in. You know, fill the void with talking or explaining. He just waited to see if Denny had something he wanted to say to court. But he yeah. did sat down. He ended up unloading to Alan later. Yeah. So just to wrap up, do you want to quickly just wrap up? We're not going to play any more sound bites on that storyline, but tell everybody who didn't see the episode, because, you know, a lot of people don't get this. They live in all over the world and they don't get Boston legal. How did that end? And go ahead and give the clincher what we think happened in the end.
0: With that specific storyline that we just heard, he actually got the not guilty verdict. But in the closing of the um, scene... Alan Shore is getting congratulated by him, and they're hugging. Or I don't know who's hugging who, but he sees that the nurse that had been uh, taking care of his wife kind of gives him a little sort of blows him a little kiss and sort of does the kind of like, you know, we did it kind of thing, which explains to Alan that they actually have a relationship together, which sort of totally... (laughs) goes against what he had thought he was sort of fighting for originally um, and and maybe proposes the idea that they had killed the wife so that they could, you know, start a relationship together. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, you know, we we were very sympathetic for this guy and his situation and then the sympathy is sort of taken away when we see this little sort of hidden kiss blown to Ryan, uh, to Ryan Meyerson.
4: Yeah. Metaphorically speaking, it was interesting because it was just a look, but it, it almost felt like there was a kiss going on. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, yeah, you're right. It was it was a look, but there was some kind of well, she kind of had her hand sort of like in a little prayer almost, and oh. kind of did a little. I saw like a little sort of maybe oh, maybe maybe that was me just reading deeply into it and now imagining that that happened. But there was a definite moment of of a realization that there was a connection between the two of them. Yeah, definitely. that Alan Shore picked up on and was sort of taken.
4: Taken by It went through about six or seven different emotions on his face in the span of three seconds. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Oh, and I no. want to mention because we didn't play any sound bites with the nurse Jody Young, she's playing by Stacy Galena. Interesting little um connection that she actually was on Friends' um Friends has a character named Chandler. Everybody probably knows that. Chandler's mm-hmm. ex in Friends. And Tom Selleck was Monica's was ex. Monica <laughs> so X. the two exes on a show together. There's another connection. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a small town. Yeah, so uh, then we wrap up with our final soundbite, the balcony scene, and well, you're the you're my musical guest. Why don't you tell us what music was playing is playing under this balcony scene?
0: The end music is played by uh, Jason Mraz's "Life Is Wonderful," and it's from his 2005 album "Mr. A to Z." So, and it was a lovely song actually. Some of the emails that I got, people asked about that song if I knew, you know, who did that song or where they could find that one as well, because it was very. Um, tied in well with the end scene
4: there. And we only hear um, a, a little bit of it. We don't hear the actual first line of the song when you look it up in, in lyrics, is it takes a crane to build a crane. Um, he's talking obviously about oh, yeah. crane, large cranes, but you know we always know anytime is there's a crane. crane. <laughs> Denny Crane. <laughs> this is the, um, the big reveal. I think we have two big shockers, Both one from Denny, one from Alan on the balcony scene.
1: Denny, when you launched yourself in court like a Pop Tart, he was badgering our client. I had to break the flow. Mr. Kupfer had just said families often act to end their own suffering. Is that what happened with your father? He wasn't exactly in pain. The appetite was good. In fact, he was actually smiling more in the end than he On the day, the day we told the doctor to up the drip, he was blissful. We put him out of our misery. And I often wondered, did that life belong to the man with the brain of a two-year-old or to the man that preceded it? It certainly didn't belong to me. I think the life belonged to the man who preceded the disease, the man you knew as your father. Slurp. Slurp. How'd you get the doctor to do it? Print a crane. That was still the real thing then. I'm going to say this right now and then I'm going to memorialize it in my living will if I ever end up with the mind of a two-year-old I'll have Bev sit on you that's a load off
4: Beautiful.
0: Oh, that was so good. I love in the end of that scene when the smoke goes in slow motion from their cigars.
3: Oh,
4: I didn't.
0: See yeah, they like the the smoke is like put in slow motion, so they're puffing their cigars and the smoke kind of just disperses. And disperses. Very
4: gracefully with the la la las.
3: Yeah.
4: Oh. Hmm. It was. It's very poignant, but it's also moving as well. Yeah. That sure. concludes that uh, live big. Oh, was such a great episode. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Wow. It was a good one. Oh, thank you so much for all this. Now, we're not done. We're <laughs> 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 Although I know that um, this is now becoming a two-parter, obviously. <laughs> as yeah, yeah, exactly. Podcast. I guess it is. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to quickly, I want to quickly play, uh, we do have a quick 30-second soundbite of the preview for There's Fire, which has already aired, but we are going to do a podcast on it coming up, and uh, this gives you a tease.
1: Next on Boston Legal.
4: Mr. Lewis just fired me.
1: why did he fire you? She was given ample time to quit smoking, and she knew she'd be fired if she didn't.
3: I can't make my rent. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to win this. Nice night.
1: Suddenly it is.
3: Has anyone seen Denny? It's time for our toast.
1: Last time I saw him was over near the coat check room. She is willing to take only 50% of Mr. Crane's assets. What? Including his equity in the firm. We're being audited to determine Denny's net worth. Let them. We have nothing to hide. Hold on a second there, Aunt
5: Sally. This <laughs> could be, well, a problem.
4: Oh, oh, Paul Lewiston, the now Aunt Sally. <laughs> Hold on there, Aunt Sally. So, And two weddings in a row, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I noticed. <laughs> two weddings in a row. We always, every week, try and look for the Star Trek uh, comparables. We have Deb from Montreal on the phone, and she's going to give us a little rundown of the few themes that she had that you alluded to earlier, Georgia. All right, we have on the phone with us, Deb from Montreal, calling in about Live Big. Hello. Hi, Dana. Nice to be here again. Right here with Georgia. And, you know, that makes it an all Canada podcast. Go (laughs) Canucks. Yeah, go Canucks. (laughs) Oh, and we're here to talk about another Canadian, William Shatner, and your parallels that you've seen between Live Big and any franchise of Star Trek, right?
2: Well, you know, the Star Trek universe.
4: Oh, well, let's don't waste any time. You found um, two big themes as well as we'll always revisit the Star Trek alumni. That's Why don't right. we start out with the one that you thought was, well, it's really, really an obvious one, isn't it?
2: Yeah, the, the, the first theme that ran through Live Big, you know, dealt a lot with uh, René Aubour-Genois, is Star Trek alumni from uh, um, Deep Space Nine, and his daughter and their estrangement. And um, parental estrangement is, something that runs through almost every single one of the series, from uh, the original series all the way through to Voyager and even the movies. And I um, I found a lot of similarities between um, their relationship in that there was distance between them and time. That came across uh, in a lot of the relationships that we see uh, in Star Trek. I mean, it started off with, I think the first one was Spock and uh, his father, Sarek, and they became estranged almost from birth. I mean, he didn't appreciate the fact that he had a half-human son, because Spock is half-human. Mm. And then later on in life, much later long in life, uh, he admitted that eventually he was actually, even though he opposed Spock going into, Star, uh, into Starfleet, eventually he came to realize that this was a good thing and that he was very
4: proud of him. And that was and actually then, toward the end of his life, was it? Towards the end of the
2: life, where they live like over 200 years. <laughs> yeah, they actually live a very extended period of time. But there was a reconciliation factor uh, between uh, the father and the son. And father and son theme also ran with Kirk and his son, David.
4: That's very true. Who he
2: met accidentally as, uh, as David was a young adult. And there was that theme as well uh, earlier on in Boston Legal between Danny Crane and Donnie Crane. Uh, To Paul and T'Less, which were the Vulcans from the Enterprise series. And as well from Mm -hmm. the Enterprise series, there was Lieutenant Malcolm Reed and his father, Stuart Reed, who opposed him going into the Navy in a similar way that uh, Sarik had opposed Spock going into Starfleet. Ultimately, all of them uh, ended up with a reconciliation or a Mm -hmm. reacquaintance.
4: Which we're starting to see at the end of that episode. And may I remind everybody, Deb has put together just a wonderful document really detailing all of this and citing the references in the websites and with pictures. So she has actually, each reconciliation that she's just mentioned, she's got side-by-side pictures of father and son, and yeah. it's labeled and the names and everything It's quite nice. Then, you know, there
2: was this, you know, uh, similarities between um, Crane and Donnie Crane that was sort of echoed back to when uh, Kirk met his son, Dr. David Marcus. Hmm. Uh, and hmm. he confronts his Former lover, because I'm, it's never clear whether he married David Marcus's mother or not. Because I would, I would assume that David Marcus would be David Kirk. <laughs> yeah. So we assumed that it was a former lover who had his love child and that she kept from him and actually kept knowledge of him uh, from from Kirk in that that clip.
4: And let's listen to that.
1: I did what you wanted. I stayed
2: away. Why didn't you do? How can you ask? Were we together? Were we going to be? You had your world, and I had mine. And I wanted him in mine, not chasing through the universe with his father.
4: Except for some of the words, obviously. It almost sounds like Rachel talking to Paul Lewiston, you know, why didn't you tell me I had a grandchild?
2: That's right. And I think that because their worlds had become separated, that she felt that she didn't want to lose or at risk losing her child to Paul Lewis, that she wanted her daughter in her life. Mm-hmm. And eventually she confronts him in his office and saying, well, I can live without you being in my life, but I don't know if my daughter can <laughs> needs to know whether her grandfather is going to be in her life or not.
4: And thank goodness they had that catalyst to bring them back onto the bargaining table because it's not just about the daughter. It really is about them, but they were both pretty proud people, weren't they? They both had their agendas that they were felt you know, abused for.
2: They both felt right and they both had trouble meeting in the middle.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What I loved about it was that it was done completely visually. You don't actually hear them or hear what they say, but you do see them come together and they meet in the middle. <clears throat> similarly, you know, we, we have an audio clip of uh, Dr. Marcus uh, as he, at the end of the mission, he enters you know, Kirk's quarters and, uh, and, can, and, and tries to meet him in the middle.
1: Can I talk to you for a minute? I poured myself a drink. Would you like it? Lieutenant Savick was right. You never have faced death. No, not like this. I haven't faced death. I cheated death. I tricked my way out of death and patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. I know nothing. You knew enough to tell Savick that how he faced death is at least as important as how he faced life. Just words. But good words. That's where ideas begin. Maybe you
5: should listen to them. I was wrong about you. I'm sorry.
1: Is that what you came here to say? Mainly.
5: And also that I'm proud, very proud to be your son.
4: Oh. I know, it's a (laughs) tearjerker. And as you said in your document that everybody can go look at it, boston dot org, the Star Trek link. All's well that ends well, and you know they're they're patching it up. Yeah, it takes work. <laughs> well, there's another theme, and this is a theme that will actually not as only in Live Big, but was also in There's Fire. But uh, it's the wedding, wedding bells, <laughs> and you spell <clears throat> it bells, b e l l e s, like the women, <laughs> the bells of the wedding.
2: A little play on words, yeah. <laughs> Weddings, it's going to be a theme that's, you know, revisited a couple of times in Boston Legal. Well, my goodness, it's been revisited several times in um, Star Trek. And I, I really was trying to locate an example of the, um there was some occurrence of romances between summer and, and, and uh, already called summer winter romances, but um, May, December romances, it's, I couldn't find uh, an actual picture of it because there was actually no wedding that ever took place from these romances. But there were all different kinds of cultures that, were, that uh, had different kinds of uh, customs. and um, Including,
4: like, in this case, show tunes on Boston Legal. <laughs> the custom of show tunes. Singing, breaking into song. I, th- I thought that was
2: hysterical, personally, and, and, and I, I laughed so hard.
4: Well, some of the examples you give. Why don't you share that with uh, Star Trek weddings that you've? Yeah,
2: there was uh, between races. You had um, Worf, who was a Klingon, with Dax, who or uh, Jadzia Dax, uh, who was also a, an alien. Uh, her her alien race name escapes me.
4: Oh, well, and that was Deep Space Nine.
2: That was on Deep Space Nine. There was uh, between Belana Torres and uh, Tom Paris. She was half. A Klingon human and he was a human and that was a uh, officiated by uh, Captain Janeway aboard the Voyager and then there was a Betazoid human between uh, Counselor Troy and Commander Riker and they were married on Earth. But they also had a wedding that they didn't show that was Betazoid custom where the bride and groom appear nude.
4: <laughs> oh and it wasn't shown. <laughs> no but her mother actually shows up
2: at one of a wedding, but when when her husband saw her nude, he was disgusted because that wasn't in, in his uh, alien customs, hmm. and so he, he he decides not to marry her. Oh, and then there there is one between Chief Engineer Miles O'Brien and uh, Keiko, who is of uh, Asian uh, orientation uh, aboard the Enterprise, and she has a magnificent gown.
4: And you have pictures again of all this on your document of each of these weddings you've mentioned. That's
2: right, and then there is also one of a Vulcan ceremony, which is. Far more stoic and simple, and definitely goth.
4: <laughs> goth, yes, I would say so, judging by this picture.
2: Ample examples of of the different types of weddings, all marriages not being created equal. Yeah.
4: Well, let's move on to the alumni. Our last thing we have for the moment.
2: Only one fellow this time, one actor who, besides the cast regulars, and that would be Michael Ensign, and he appears as. Judge Paul Resnick, in five episodes so far. Mm-hmm. He also appears as several different characters uh, in many of the in three out of the uh, four uh, series he stars in TNG, which is the Next Generation, uh, DS9, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and as well as Enterprise. Uh, and uh, he has different. Uh, makeup and costume because the you
4: know, he's a he's a different race. In each Definitely, one. your pictures that you have side by side from each of the four characters he played in Star Trek, and then his actual uh, publicity photo, and none of them look alike. <laughs> none of them look alike. He
2: completely different charisma that emanates from each of those pictures.
4: Well, thank you so much for putting all this together again. A stunning document you've put together with pictures and all the themes in one place, so everyone can go and relive that if they. Uh, didn't catch it all right here.
2: My pleasure, Dana. Bye. See You next week. Bye bye,
4: Georgia. I've been dying to ask you so many questions. We've you've thank you peppered the conversation a lot with your memories of filming Live Big and Finding Nemo. But I want to find out a little bit more about you, and this is a good time to do it. You you did say that you are working on a CD. It's not yet out. It's not out yet. I'm working on it.
0: And I had originally hoped for a date um, in March for the release, Mm -hmm. but I've been away all of January and all of February, and that date was sort of set in, like, November, and then all this stuff sort of came up. So I've been away for so long and haven't been able to complete it. But it will hopefully be completed um, by the late spring. I'm thinking kind of May-ish. And uh, right now it will be available over my uh, website. We're looking at distributions, so I don't know... um, who we're going to use for distribution yet, but as of right now, it's available through my website, which is, again, net. That's so, right.
4: And yeah. the Murray is with an A-Y at the end. just yes, make sure everybody knows a- this. <laughs> yes, M-U-R-R-A-Y. Now, is your iSounds page, and that's linked from net. That is.
0: There's a link on my website, um, to the iSound site, and that is where you can pick up the free download of the Thanks Again song that was sung on the Boston Legal episode.
4: Now, when we were talking a little bit earlier about Thanks Again, you said, that's not quite the music that you're used to producing. And I was amazed because I read on your website that it's, um, can I just say, hip-hop folk? What, yeah, is yeah.
3: what is hip-hop <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
4: wonder- folk? That's what I do. I
0: sing sort of soulful, folky, hip-hop kind of stuff. My producer produces hip-hop and I've grown up singing folk and so we've sort of combined those two styles. Um, so it is a little different than the song, Thanks Again, but it's such a beautiful song regardless of the mm-hmm. genre.
4: Well, speaking of genre, I mean, is this a new genre, hip-hop and folk? Or just Yeah. Well, there's
0: a few. I mean, it's difficult to sort of categorize yourself. People always have trouble with that, but that was sort of my best guess as to what I could sort of, because I don't want to just say hip-hop or or just folk, because it's not really, so it's kind Mm -hmm. of, I guess, a combination of the two, in a way.
4: (laughs) Oh, and we can hear, like, little snippets? I mean, you do have a player that plays as you go to your website, and is that... Yeah, right now there's three songs on the
0: website, and you can go and listen to them. Um, I'll be posting some new things um, in the future, but right now there's three songs on there that you can listen to.
4: Now, if anybody... um, decides to book and reserve some time at the uh, family resort. You're probably not there and performing anymore, are you, during well, the summer?
0: the season runs from April to October, so mm-hmm. it's actually off-season right now, but I was there last summer, and I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new world right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but I definitely am always, I mean, it's, I've grown up there. It's my family-owned resort, so no matter what I am yeah. doing, I will be always visiting. Sure. If not working, definitely um, making time each summer to return and visit, and and still sing for the guests because I love I love doing that, and I might meet some more cool people. That
4: yeah. they, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're you're 21 now. You're emancipated. No more child labor situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I'm writing my own ticket now. Exactly. You know? Oh, so and now you said that you've been away a lot the last couple of months. One of those amazing things, besides filming, was you did something that a lot of Americans, you know, a lot of musicians, that think like, "Wow, I want to play." A certain venue in New York City. What was that?
2: It was
0: Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I got to sing the opening anthems for a New York Knicks game and a Rangers game in February. Uh, so it was extraordinary and another unbelievable ex- experience. And
4: yeah, were I they was all- there
0: for a week, and okay. it was amazing.
4: There was so they were over. Both games were over in the same week. And
0: yes, I the Knicks played on the seventh of February, and the Rangers
4: played on the eighth. So they are back-to-back
0: nights.
4: Now tell the interesting story. Hey, again, your father has something to do with it. He's to take a he commission. Did. How you got that like gig? The ultimate hookup
0: place. <laughs> um, the owners of Madison Square Garden and the Knicks and the Rangers came to Nemo Bay this summer uh, for vacation. I wasn't actually there at the time, but I did have my demo CD there. And my dad, who is like Mr. Promoter of all time, <laughs> he showed them my demo CD. And uh, they were impressed enough to invite me down. They came back the next morning from their cabins and said to my dad, we want to invite your daughter to come sing the anthems in Madison Square Garden. Aww. So I was blown away when I got that phone call as well. <laughs> did your dad get to go?
4: I mean, he probably did
0: Well, the okay. other amazing thing about this was on the night that I sang for the Knicks, it was my dad's 60th birthday. Oh, yeah. So we had oh. about 50 friends and family join us in Madison Square Garden. Oh. The owners gave us, for free, 2 Luxury boxes for both nights. Wow. So both nights were just like a huge party celebration of my dad's birthday, of me singing there, of seeing friends and family that we haven't seen. I had cousins from Toronto, cousins from Newfoundland. We had friends from Texas come. We had friends from L.A. come. It was just totally an amazing time.
4: Tell me somebody videotaped you.
0: (laughs) They did. Well, I got everybody there had their own footage, but I also got the actual footage that was played on MSG Network. Oh. Um, So I have that as well.
4: You need to excerpt some of that off your website. We need to all yes, see you. That doing.
0: will actually be on my website in the next uh, probably week and a half. Excellent. Um, I've just sent the footage to the website designer, and he's putting it up on the site, so you'll be able to see me singing. Uh, it's just the Rangers game um, <laughs> that they have that they're putting on the website. But the Rangers played Ottawa, so I got to do the Canadian anthem as well as the American, which was really cool. Oh,
4: that's so good, man! Just an insane amount of um, publicity too between that and. and- the episode at Boston Legal, you, you've you been in the newspaper, you've been on CBC Radio, right?
0: Yeah, I did a couple, I did a few CBC Radio interviews. Oh. Um, I've been in all our local newspapers. Um, Entertainment Tonight Canada did a segment on me. Oh, really? I was also featured in, like, a, our, it's called Weekly Scoop, which is basically the Us Weekly or Star Magazine of Canada. <laughs> they did an article on me. Um, and so it's just been it's been really cool, really, really
4: cool. Now, do you think um, you sort of like the idea of maybe acting or doing something like that?
0: Well, I, I, I enjoyed it so much, being on that set. Um, but right now, music is really my, my number one priority. But in the future, I definitely would not turn down the idea of acting. And I think once I sort of establish myself as a singer, I may may delve into that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if the opportunity presents itself. Um, and even now, I mean, you know, I'm not going to turn down another visit to the Boston Legal <laughs> Intent. <hint. laughs>
4: I know. Well, you're. I hope they do bring you back and you can always have your dad, Mr. Promoter, you know, throw in a, a week vacation for somebody yeah,
0: there. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure he'd just be totally into that. So, <laughs> But, you know, right now it's definitely music and recording and writing and whatnot. Um, but who knows? I would definitely not turn down any opportunities. Well, you're
4: a performer, so it's whether you're performing, speaking, or singing, it's all really? the same. Yeah. Really. I am a performer. <laughs> I'm excited. Everybody keep um, an eye out on what's going on at georgiamurray.net. In fact, now you said something about having a, a newsletter. Is there a way people can kind of know when your CD comes out without... Yeah. Well, I'm going to have it posted, the date on my... Website, But I've also gathered
0: um, all the emails that people have sent me through my website. We've got it on a mailing list now, so I've let them know that once, um, you know, any new information that comes up, we'll have sort of a mass email that we'll just send out to all the people that we have on our mailing list. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in being, uh, on being that mailing list or in... Being on that mailing list, sorry. Uh, Then you can just email me through my website and we'll add you to the mailing list. Okay, good. Then you can know about all the fun events
4: that are coming up. Well, I'm going to actually take you back to last year. Actually, I'm going to take you all the way back to 2004 and see if I can maybe get your reaction to an episode, the ninth episode of Boston Legal, called A Greater Good. And this was when Nemo Bay was first mentioned. I didn't know. right. If you saw that episode. Absolutely did. Okay.
0: We had friends that had been watching the episode, um, and my dad was watching the episode. I actually wasn't watching that particular episode, but nobody had any idea that that was going to happen. David had not said anything about that. So he'd already been
4: there? I mean, he'd been there as a private person, right? He had visited, yes.
0: So I think that's where he got the original idea to to use Nemo Bay, Mm. Um, and so... All of a sudden, in the episode, Denny Crane says, I'm, i I got to win this case so that I can use the money to buy this amazing resort up in Canada. And that was where Nemo Bay was first introduced.
4: That was amazing. And so he, you, your dad was watching and his jaw dropped, right?
0: Oh, completely. <laughs> it was like unbelievable. He just totally had no idea. And it was like hilarious because, I mean, what a shocker, you know, like, oh, my gosh, just out of nowhere.
4: What a great Christmas so. present. December 12th. 2004. Yeah. Name, and totally this is what amazing. he said. I mean, he says, there's this fish. He's had to win the pharmaceutical um, drug case, big drug case, so he could. There's this fishing lodge in British Columbia called Nemo Bay. Best fishing lodge in the world. Very expensive, yeah. <laughs> costs lots of money. <laughs> I want to buy it. It's in the Great Bear Rainforest. (laughs) And I bet you, you guys had website hits like crazy.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And after the episode as well. I mean, it was just so amazing for promotional purposes, you know, for Nemo Bay. It was just so much help. And so it's really.
4: I jumped in right away as soon as that episode. And I got to go find this place, found it because people were emailing me. Where is it? Where is it? Is this made up? And, um, and I heard of Nanaimo and I thought, well, you know, and I'd been to Tofino, which is kind of on the other side of the island. Yep, right
0: on the other that's side. really
4: a nice place. But, it um, beautiful. yeah. But so I found your dad's website and linked nice. and, um, you know, actually wrote them and said, is it okay if I use that picture? He had up that, that picture of, of everybody filming in the river that's yep, still up yep. there, right? didn't ever hear back so I used it until someone wrote me and said uh, you got to take that down <laughs> oh no well, I know some, it, oh, it had I the logo know. it had the BL logo on it Boston. oh maybe it was because of the logo yeah so <laughs> I want to now find out a little bit so fast forward a few months actually because that was it was in April at what point did your dad I assume him first hear that uh they like to make a trip up there um
0: well I guess Gosh, they came in April. I think it was sometime around October, November, I think. I'm not 100% on the dates when they found out, but I oh. think it was around that fall previously when he sort of started hearing hints because I knew he told me about it, but it wasn't confirmed. It was sort of just, just might happen. Yeah. And then I remember it like happening, happening in like February. It was like, oh, they're really coming. It's mm-hmm. really happening. I think, I I can't be quoted on yeah. those dates, but I'm I think that was sort of when the time was
4: around that time now you, you told us a little bit about your birthday party which is great but just um and then you clifton <laughs> clifton's big break <laughs> yeah <laughs> putting dinny in time out um but i would just you know we don't have a lot of time but just tell us some of your memories of watching them and you actually probably hung out with them the crew a lot and maybe mm. some maybe some of the cast members the two that were there Were you housekeeping, you said? (laughs) I was. I was housekeeping, and I was serving
0: breakfast and dinner, uh, and I was also singing. So I have have a lot (laughs) to do with that trip because Nemo Bay actually only holds about 18 guests. Mm -hmm. That's the number of people that we we hold. Uh, But we had 49, I think it was 49 people there. Oh, wow. The the trip was, it was so, I mean, everybody was stuffed in every corner (laughs) that they could possibly be stuffed in. It was, like, jam-packed. So we had... um, you know, we had a few staff there, but mostly family and some of our other friends helping out. So there was a lot of, you know, we wanted to... They were very sweet with knowing that... um Nemo Bay wasn't actually fully open and fully running yet, so we didn't have our full staff there. So mm. it was sort of up to the kids <laughs> to work <laughs> overtime to uh, make sure everything was going okay. <laughs> no, but it was it was really fun, and I was doing all the housekeeping and cleaning and stuff, but I did get to hang out with them, like, every night because I was serving them dinner, and, and they were just tons of fun. I mean, William Shatner is everything you'd think he would be. He is so hilarious. I mean, he's sitting at the dinner table, and he is like the life of the party, telling joke <laughs> after joke, has everybody in hysterics, laughing constantly. He had his wife there with him, and she was just beautiful and wonderful, mm. so just such a wonderful woman. James Spader was very had so much, you know, a real presence, as well as William Shatner, of course. The two of them were just, you know, bigger than life people, and that just unbelievably nice. Can't like, emphasize that enough. Like. I just—they were so wonderful to be around. Did they have and the same where,
4: rapport with each other as they do? It seems like the characters um, do? Yeah,
0: well, it's similar. Um, you know, they didn't. I didn't get to see a lot of interacting between them because there was so many people there, and mm-hmm. you know, there was interaction between everybody but they were definitely very friendly with each other and had good laughs and and very similar to their relationship on the show um and uh everybody that was there was just so wonderful and funny and Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what to expect being a tiny little resort up in bc to have all these big hollywood people come down and shoot this show we just know the typical stereotypes people have and it just wasn't the case at all with any of them. Bill DeLea and Mike Listo and Janet Knutson, all the producers and directors, and David Kelly. And they're just the most wonderful people to be around and hilarious and fun and everything. Hey, who
4: was your favorite uh, person of the crew or whatever, you know, that you seem to hang out with? You know, I have with. to
0: say, the ones that I really, <laughs> really bonded with the most were definitely... Um, Jory and Kelly. The Kelly is the head hairstylist and Jory is the head makeup artist of the show and they were just like so cool and so down to earth and they of course did my hair and my makeup <laughs> for my birthday because it was my 21st birthday like I said earlier. So we got to spend like a lot of time together because, you know, it took Kelly a few hours, not a few hours, like about an hour to cut my hair and took Jory about an hour to do my makeup. So, and I was in their cabin. It was just the three of us while that was happening. So we got a lot of time to Chad and they were really, really, really cool. And Kelly was actually the head hairstylist of 902 and O for like five seasons.
3: Wow.
0: He was the top stylist on the show. So he's, you know, and Jory's done like so many amazing things as well. They're just both so talented and wonderful and equally as nice as everybody else <laughs> so they were very very cool and of course William Shatner and James Spader I got to talk with them a lot William Shatner was really funny and we chatted and I showed him my demo CD and he was very very nice and and um he has his own CD
4: so he, could he talk does music. he has his own
0: CD so we got to kind of talk music a little bit and James Spader had his girlfriend there who was like the most wonderful beautiful girl as well Aww. and I chatted with her a whole lot and so everybody was I just, I, I keep saying, like, they're so nice, but really, like, for anybody that's wondering what they're really like, my experience was that they were just over-the-top wonderful.
4: That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, was the the famous uh, sleeping together scene filmed in one of your cabins, or was that later on the no, set? No, that was out? actually filmed back at the studio. Oh, okay.
0: So that was a totally... Um, that was not like up. your cabin. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not house. like your cabin. But yeah, that scene was done before they came. So that was one of the only scenes, I think, that wasn't shot up at Nemo Bay.
4: I put together a silly music video right after that episode aired. It's on the Boston Legal dot org website, but you know it's all the scenery of your place yeah. as well, and you know with the song that um, Welcome
0: to Canada, yeah, yeah. Five yeah. Iron
4: Frenzy singing along. That's such a crazy yeah. song, so. Well, I wish we could talk more and more and more about this, but um, suffice it to say, they were very nice.
0: <laughs> yes, I know. I keep, I feel like I'm just totally repeating myself, but it really was true. They, I'm really not nice saying time. that because I, you know, want to get in good or anything. they were no. really, truly, genuinely wonderful people.
4: Hope some of them decide to come back this year if they really do enjoy salmon fishing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that'd be awesome.
4: We're going to real quickly run down a couple of the items that George is going to have for you, some calendar events coming up. And I just want to reiterate that uh, Live Big, how it performed in the ratings, it wasn't as good, unfortunately, as maybe the previous episode. But that was only because, darn it, The Olympics. women's figure skating. The women's figure exactly, which killed. It was like,
0: wasn't it the... Um... The finale, or, like, not the finale, but the was, actual final, the big one. It wasn't just, like, women's figure skating. It was, like, the end of the whole I
4: think it was, skating. yeah. You know, obviously I didn't watch it. But
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, my husband so.
4: does a podcast for the Olympics, and I, I should ask him. But, yeah, they did 17 shares really too much. They took too much. They were too greedy with our viewership. Yeah. But I found an interesting thing is that the day after the episode, um, the Wednesday, is that my website had, like, the highest traffic for, like, one of the – Peaks of the whole season. And so I think a lot of people taped it. Then they came back and they looked at the information. That's the only way I can gauge it. Yeah. I just think it was taped and they just didn't get the live numbers. But anyway, it was 9.5 million viewers. Usually Boston Legal hovers around 11, um The week before it was 10.4 million viewers. Well, they really gained from the. Oh, so sad. George Lopez rerun lead in, oh, yeah. <laughs> which you know that's not her, it's not helping us guys. ABC, but oh. but uh, but they were only like a four, and and Boston Legal was um, a six. So you know, and as long as I understand, as long as the dem, the prime demographic eighteen to forty nine, as long as they stay in the threes, they're good. This was a two point eight; it was pretty close. But um, as long as they keep that top prime demographic, we'll be happy. Yeah. So Georgia, we have some. Quickly, some events coming up. Why don't you share our calendar?
0: Yes. On March 3rd, uh, Julie Bowens, which is Denise Bauer, it's her birthday. And on March 22nd, William Shatner, Denny Crane, it's his birthday. Yay, his birthday. You have to send him
4: some uh, money or
0: something. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He'll be like (laughs) that.
4: Oh, gosh. And then
0: March 22nd, uh, William Shatner in concert on Living in TV Land. March
4: 22nd. On his April, birthday, actually.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. It'll be a fun birthday for him. On April 4th, it's David E. Kelly's birthday. Oh, I'm April 2 We're both April babies. So
4: oh. your when was your birthday? April 2nd? April twenty first, sorry, twenty third. April, I just called
0: my birthday wrong. April twenty third, because I was turning twenty one. Well, so, yeah, they were April there 2nd. then.
4: Were they? They were obviously not there on no, his birthday. No, they arrived.
0: I think on like the nineteenth or something like
4: that. Uh, so oh, it
0: was after his birthday.
4: Ah, oh, oh well.
0: Um, and then April eleventh is the preemption for the Ten Commandments.
4: No Boston legal on April 11th. No
0: Boston legal. But you know, no. God
4: takes precedence, though the Ten yes. Moses. And- <laughs>
0: Um, and then Tom Selleck will reprise his role as Ivan Biggs in Shitty City Bang Bang, which is broadcast March 21st, and Ivan and Missy, uh, who was played by Meredith Patterson, will be back for episode 22, called Ivan the Incorrigible, That's to air on April 3rd.
4: Oh, yeah. I'll tell you who's incorrigible. It's Catherine Piper. It's Betty White's character. She's been getting into trouble.
0: Oh, gosh. She is so funny. I love her.
4: The definition of incorrigible. That brings us to the end of a podcast, a memorable one, the, the best ever, Georgia. Because oh, of you.
0: I'm so happy to be here. And thanks so much for inviting me to do this. It's just wonderful.
4: You're a, a fan of the show. And so, right. anytime you want to come back and do another one show, particularly you enjoy, you don't even have to be in it. We can talk and do this again. Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back when you ha- your CD is now you know yes. on sale, in May or whenever. <laughs> <laughs> Remind everybody to go check out all her work over at georgiamurray.net and also download that free, generously provided. Yeah. MP3 of thanks again
0: on the iSound site. And there's I a link on the
4: website. Very good. And also, if you come to boston-legal.org click on the music link. There's a page, the music of Boston Legal, where we try and keep tabs on everything. I think there's some wrong information up there. I just realized. We link over to her as well. If anybody has anything they want to say about this podcast, go to our forum. We have a section, the music section for this episode. We have a section where you can talk about the podcast itself. And we'd love to hear, you know, what you thought about Georgia as a (laughs) co-host. So once again, remind everybody, Boston Legal Tuesdays. Don't miss it, 10 o'clock in the United States. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you. In the meantime, Georgia, remember. Live big, my friend. Live big.
3: Hi, symbol case. For Mother's Day. For Father's Day, a shirt and a car. While they came from the heart They all fell short Of saying how special You both are It was until I Was up and gone Married with a couple of kids Of my own Doing what mamas and daddies do Realized What I must have put you through So thanks again For the love in the cradle And all of the changes That kept me dry And thanks again For the love at our table And tanning my bottom When I told you a lie were taking me fishing, and flying my kites, and tugging me in, yes, night after night to my beautiful life. With my homework And sitting up with me Till I got it right Your car for the prom Your letters and on But most of all daddy For marrying mom To my beautiful